What's going on, everybody? We are live for Liam's first look at UFC Vegas 75. Marvin Vittori versus Jared, the killer gorilla, cannoneer. We have got a middleweight main event, but we've got a, a lightweight-centered card overall. I said on Twitter today, it reminds me of old WEC. We've got a bunch of fights in the flyweight division, in the bantamweight division, in the lightweight division, in the featherweight division, and these are a lot of action uh, oriented divisions for the UFC. So top heavy, it's a little bit of the heavier action on the card. Uh, but then at the bottom of this card, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the lighter weight fighters, a little bit faster pace, a little bit more explosive, a little bit higher skilled on average. So uh, a lot of fun fights to break down overall. And I have two uh, waters with me tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because we've got 14 fights to break down. So a lot of talking to be done. And with that being said, on Liam's first look, I always start with the main event. You know, if you guys watch my Thursday panel show, we start from the bottom of the card and work our way up uh, with full research. But on today's show, I'm going to be giving you guys some of my first look. I've done a lot of preliminary research, but I haven't gone back and done as deep a tape study as I will do before I place my final wagers for this card. But let's talk about it broadly speaking, right? Because we've got a pretty closely lined fight here. I'm going to bring up the current odds uh, for these fights but um, when I was looking earlier today, Marvin Vittori was still available plus 100 on Caesars Sportsbook, and he is 10 years younger than his opponent here in Jared Cannonier. That's just uncommon, you know, uh, very rare to see something like that uh, in a UFC main event. But Jared Cannonier is an uncommon guy, comes into the UFC a little bit later on in life, comes in as a heavyweight, as a matter of fact, has some mixed results, comes down to light heavyweight, has some mixed results, and eventually finds his way to the middleweight division where his only losses have been to the current champion, uh, Israel Adesanya, and uh, former champion Robert Whitaker, both in, uh, you know, you know, the Izzy fight wasn't really competitive, all things considered. It was just a terrible fight in which nothing really happened. Um, but the Robert Whitaker fight was a very competitive fight. So Cannoneers proved to be, you know, a good fighter. But even in some of his wins, he hasn't separated himself necessarily. Had a close fight, but a decisive fight against Kelvin Gastelum. Um, and then he also had a close fight against Sean Strickland uh, in December. So, you know, he's a guy who's not getting any younger, going to be coming in here 39 years of age. But Marvin Vittori... You know, his plus level attributes are mostly the fact that he gets hit well. You know, it's like um, when you talk about what he does well, he applies some pace. You know, he's a tough guy. He's got some stick to You know, he's gone uh, the distance with tough guys and outlasted them a little bit. But, you know, his plus level skills aren't necessarily offensive um, at all times. And especially when you see something like the Adesanya performances, and he's had multiple cracks, um, he's just not a guy that pursues offense with the rigor that you want you know I remember betting on him before the Adesanya 2 fight because he's like you know uh by any means necessary Italy's going to get another champion I'm like all right you sold me with the rhetoric you sold me with the improvements the fight was close the first time and he didn't really attempt uh you know a single interesting takedown he didn't move off of a skill that wasn't working he applied the same craft over and over his uh back take was absolutely sloppy and forced um you know, he had a great position and he just gave it up by just uh, getting so tense and awkward. And I felt like, you know, just consolidating top position could have made such a difference there. So um, a lot of flaws that we've seen with Marvin Vittori, but here's the positives. He's still only 29 years of age. He's working in the U.S. He's getting a lot of good training rounds in. 
Uh, he's a very tough guy. You know that you're going to get pretty solid work ethic. But if somebody was going to crack a granite chin, I mean, you might call somebody like Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. He carries a tremendous amount of power. He's been getting knockouts in the heavyweight division, the light heavyweight division, and the middleweight division. So he's clearly got skills. Uh, sometimes his offense can be a little bit muted. But is this the kind of opponent that's going to take his big offense away from him? You know, uh, let's bring up UFC stats here just for uh, perspective. But you know, I think stats are sometimes uh, overanalyzed and and certainly not everything, but let's just use it for context here. Marvin Vittori, over a fairly large UFC sample size, is absorbing 3.65 strikes per minute. And, you know, 3.65 strikes from Jerry Cannonier are just different than a lot of guys in this division. Uh, he throws insane calf kicks. Uh, he throws brutal head kicks. And when he's on, he's really tough because – uh, he's really difficult to get to. He's a pretty strong guy. I think that, you know, kind of my uh, contrarian brain always goes to, you know, looking at this plus money under four and a half rounds because you got middleweights here. Uh, everybody's, you know, thought is going to be Marvin's just so durable, which I get. Uh, but how long is that going to last? He's now 29 years of age. He's taken a ton of beatings in the UFC. He's taken a ton of damage in the UFC. So at any point, could the chain go? Absolutely. Jerry Cannonier, perfect hit candidate to do something like that also he doesn't have to do it to the chin you know he could just take you out at the legs he hits like a truck you know uh, and he's a very hard-bodied individual um so it's a tricky fight to me you know i understand why this is a pick um let i'm curious to see what this opened up at as well um so yeah plus 100 still the best available price according to best fight odds that's on caesar sportsbook uh and you're looking at a broadly speaking pick em fight here some books even have Marvin Vittori favored. You're looking at FanDuel running a minus 120 on Vittori. Minus 106, excuse me, is the comeback on the Killer Gorilla, Jerry Cannonier. And the best available price is that price on FanDuel. So, you know, if you're looking to deal Jared here, you're getting minus 106. You're basically getting a plus 100 comeback. You know, if you shop books here, you could get a synthetic hold that's very small in this fight. Um, so it's basically take your pick, you know. And I do find it curious that they're offering – um, this kind of very close price on a huge age gap. I feel like the average MMA better is going to look at that huge age gap and it's going to be hard to ignore, you know? And I think that also Marvin has a pretty solid body of work alongside that, but, uh, it's just a tricky fight for me, man. I, I don't feel bullish on Marvin. I felt like I haven't been inspired by his recent performances to tell you the truth, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewatch, uh, a couple Marvin fights Give him another chance, you know, see if there's something I'm missing from these other fights. Uh, but I just haven't liked what I've seen in his recent performances. Certainly not enough to back him here uh, at a chalk situation. And Jerry Cannonier is just a, a really hard guy to bet against um, at this slight chalk price. You know, I tried to do it with Sean Strickland, who I think is probably a little bit more sound in all positions um, than Marvin. It didn't happen. So, you know, that that to me was a little bit foretelling as well. Jared Cannonier can still go out there and win decisions over five rounds against these guys. And I thought it was a close fight. I thought it could have went his way. But, you know, at the end of the day, he just lands really heavy shots that impact the judges. And I don't think Marvin, even a guy who's so durable and has good stick to he's not above getting showing it a little bit with his head when he's getting hit. And uh, 
I think that's the, the kind of fight that could go against him. But, you know, Jared's not a guy who's reliable to go out there and throw volume either. I'm not thrilled to go lay minus 106 on Jared Cannonier because then he turns in the Adesanya performance where I bet on him against Adesanya. I'm like, this guy's got plus level uh, knockout ability, and he's not going to be afraid to fight this guy. Oh, boy, was I wrong. He just went out there and laid an egg, I felt like. Tried to push him against the fence. It was a disgusting fight. Um, so I think he's a good fighter, but I can't really – uh, justify betting on him either. So for me, my first initial gut lean here was just the under four and a half as a contrarian kind of play. Uh, because I think Jerry Cannonier at 39 years of age, I mean, eventually it's going to go, you know, he's a, he's built different. He's a very strong guy, uh, very athletic for his age, of course, but he also has been knocked out before he's been hurt really badly before at middleweight. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. I even thought Derek Brunson, uh, my guy was doing some work and I bet Jerry Cannonier hugely in that spot, um, broke my heart, you know, but I just had a feeling, uh, Jared stays so strong throughout the fight and he came back in a big way on Brunson and, uh, Dude, he, he's just a, he's a guy that's got real power uh, and his, his ground and pound is disgusting as well as he's gotten uh, further along in his career. So um, I just don't want to sleep on Jared again at this pick price and, and uh, end up looking the fool. So probably going to end up passing on that main event. Next up guys, we've got a very interesting fight in the 155 pound division, a little bit of a squash match here. According to the odds makers, uh, you got a minus nine ten best available price on Armand Sarukian. And it's a little bit of stay busy work here against Joaquim Silva, but Joaquim Silva is no joke. Um, you know, the problem for him here is that I think um, Armin has the skills to dictate where this fight takes place. Uh, I think he's probably got an ability to keep slightly better pace uh, on the feet. And I also think he just has more uh, ability to win this fight by knockout. I think he's a little bit more durable than Silva at this point in his career. But Silva is still a dangerous guy, you know. Uh, went out there up a weight class against Neil Magny and absolutely sunned him with that guillotine uh, series. And uh, that was exactly what told me that Shavkat Lakhmanov was just that against Neil Magny and uh, that the sub prop had to be hammered because Joaquim Silva is a 155-pounder. Right. And he just easily worked Magni on the ground. And this is where the Magni as a fish moniker came from. And it's no disrespect to the legend Neil Magni, who's won so many fights, but um, just as a pure grappler, a little bit of a fish. And he still continues to work on it and he's getting better. But uh, he whooped my ass, that's for sure. But just at the UFC level. Now, as far as Lick, Rick Glenn, excuse me, um, you know, goes, that was a concerning performance because Rick Glenn is not traditionally the biggest knockout puncher, certainly not early on in the fight. Um, and he just absolutely blasted him out of there. So I think that that's a little bit foretelling here. Armand Sarukian, so hungry, so dangerous, a lot of power on the feet, a uh, lot of spinning attacks. Um, you know, he can work people over with the ground and pound as well, should have the grappling to probably neutralize Neto uh, in some of these exchanges, but Neto is a scary guy on the mat. So I think the best chance for Armand is just to catch him on the feet uh, and work him with some shots. And I think he could do that. So I think the speed advantage uh, will be big here. I think, uh, again, we're probably dealing uh, with a pretty significant age gap here. Yes, absolutely. Um, about eight years here for Armand Sarukian and Joaquim Silva. So um, I think this is a fun fight. I think it's going to be fun while it lasts, but I think that, you know, um, this is a fight for Armand to make, take another step forward, excuse me, in his career. He's still a young guy, but he's had a lot of really positive results. And you look at his UFC body of work, Demiris Magulov, extremely impressive win. Mateusz Gamrot, really questionable loss. 
Um, but I think it's a fair fight to score for Gamrot. But again, it's like a fight that could have easily went his way. And we're talking about a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight win streak that he'd be on in the UFC since fighting Islam Mahashev to a competitive decision in a UFC debut on short notice. So the kid has just been coming up aces throughout. Uh, I think he's a very impressive uh, candidate in this lightweight division. You know, I think he's a guy that should be fighting up, up, up. And uh, I think this is another showcase spot, another opportunity to potentially build out that highlight reel, keep him fresh, keep him in the cage. And uh, I think remind people exactly who Armand Sarukin is. And I remember before, um, you know, a couple of these fights, you know, people were telling me like, this guy's the live underdog against Armand and this guy. And I remember I sat out, um, you know, the Armand fight against Gamera. I was just too unsure there. I felt like they're both elite guys, but basically you give me anybody who hasn't proven their an elite lightweight or like close to it, uh, you know, fighting in that top 10 in the division. And I'm basically taking Armand to steamroll him most of the time. I just think he's that good. So uh, yeah, I think this is another example of him coming in and steamrolling somebody that's very talented. Uh, Cause I think he's just younger, fresher, hungrier, wants it better. And he's also dangerous in every position. Uh, excellent wrestling world-class, I would say, uh, by UFC standards, certainly, uh, competed in every position with Makachev. So uh, just a really, a really fun prospect to watch. Shout out to all the people in the chat, guys. We got a lot of great people rocking with us, and I appreciate each and every one of you. My guy YBB uh, was on the show last week. Uh, Late Night Liam absolutely killed it on the show, brother. Appreciate your appearance. Uh, absolutely killed it. And just a lot of great names in here. Uh, a lot of friends of the show, a lot of former guests, and uh, also a lot of great regular uh, viewers of the show. So I appreciate each and every one of your contributions. Um, and with that being said, let's kick it over to the next fight here because we got a lot to talk about. We got Christian Leroy Duncan taking on Armin Petrosian. And I was pretty big on Duncan against uh, Dusko Todorovic, right? I felt like Dusko Todorovic you know, was just in a really tough spot in his career. He had been getting hammered on a little bit and, uh, you know, his confidence was really shaken up. So you give him this guy who's streaking, coming in with a ton of confidence, very, uh, talented, right. It, it just was a recipe for disaster. I felt like kind of a sketchy looking ending there, just a weird fight overall. So he didn't really get that pizzazz, uh, kickoff to his career that he wanted. And I got to do some more, uh, tape study and due diligence here because, uh, CLD is the much younger fighter here, five years younger, 27 against a 32 year old. Um, and he's got an eight inch reach advantage, according to topology. That sounds hard to believe. Uh, but Armand Petrosian, uh, you know, he's, he kind of got a little bit, um, lucky and I was on him, uh, when he beat, um, what's his name? Or am I thinking of the wrong guy here? No, no, I'm not. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez. I couldn't see his name on there. And for some reason, I was looking for RoboCop. But what we're uh, what we're talking about here is the fact that, you know, he kind of got a very close uh, split decision to go his way. But then he fought very competitively with Kyle Barajo. And we've seen just how dangerous Kyle Barajo has been in recent performances. High, high-level grappling. And, um, you know, he fought a very calculated fight there. A lot of the MMA meta looking for body triangles in certain positions. But then again, against AJ Dobson, plus level athlete, maybe a little bit green on some of the MMA skills still coming along in those areas because he's got a lot of quick finishes, hasn't gotten a lot of cage time uh, because he's a really dangerous fighter at a 
Ohio. So shout out to those guys. Um, you know, and, uh, he does a lot of good physical training, but just felt like he was a little bit, uh, you know, out savvy there, outskilled by a guy who's been around uh, the Muay Thai scene for longer. Um, so I think that, you know, this should be probably a pretty honest fight on the feet. You know, I have to see if CLD has some grappling in his back pocket. Um, but I feel like, you know, what I've seen from him is primarily striking uh, if my memory serves. So, you know, I think it could be an honest fight on the feet. And I saw Armin was like a, you know, pretty sizable underdog here, plus 150 and up. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I feel like it's a closer fight than that. Um, but that reach advantage is, sounds pretty significant. So going to do a little bit deeper digging, certainly not uh, something I'm rushing to play. I'm sure there's going to be some more love that comes in that way um, because he's he's on a good run. And Armin, again, he's got that kind of fraudulent win against Hoboka, uh that a lot of people thought went against him. So I think that could, um, you know, push the line further further against him. So not in a rush to play it. Normally when you're looking to play underdogs, you're looking to play him later on. Um, so for me, I'm just going to, I'm going to wait and, and let that line marinate a little bit. Next up, we've got a 145 pound fight. And now we start working our way back, uh, you know, down in weight. We got one more welterweight contest, but everything else uh, on the card is 155 and below. Um, so we, we've dealt with some of the more volatile, heavier weight contests. But now we got Pat Sabatini versus Lucas Almeida. And speaking of volatile, you know, um, my notes on Pat Sabatini are all about him being an extremely impressive grappler. You know, uh, he does a lot of things right. He's a, he's a very dangerous guy. You know, normally makes the right choice on the ground, the next right choice, and it puts him in a position to win. But he's also been getting hurt on the feet. You know, it's been alarming because Lucas Almeida hits like a truck. Um, when he's given the chance to land flush on the chin. And, you know, I never would have, if you gave me 10 guesses, I wouldn't have guessed Damon Jackson by first round knockout. I just, that's not how I saw that fight playing out. You know, I thought Pat um, was going to have a very winnable fight there against Damon. Um, and instead, you know, he got audited pretty quick there. It was a tough fight. And, you know, let's just say he got caught. But um, let's, if we give him the benefit of the doubt, he got caught there. You know, he got badly, badly hurt by Jamal Emmers. And if Jamal Emmers didn't go for that toehold, we could be having a whole different conversation, you know, as well, because it gave Pat just, you know, a free heel hook. He's a very high level grappler and, you know, he's willing to be in a toehold, which is mostly about discomfort uh, because a heel, a heel hook will do real damage and it put Jamal Emmers out for a while. So, um, you know, that that's probably one that Jamal wishes he had back. Um, and I think that for Pat, you know, he got badly hurt in that fight. Um, he fought TJ Laramie undersized. Tucker Lutz hasn't panned out yet in the UFC. Wishing him the best, but a couple a couple tough outings to start. You know, um, Tristan Connolly, guy that's no longer with the promotion as, as far as my memory serves and really never looked physically uh, his best, I felt like, in the UFC. Uh, tough guy, though, always came to fight. Um, has a crazy win on his resume over a ranked welterweight in Michelle Payne. So. Um, you know, he's a legend for that reason, but then, um, you know, wins over Jesse Stern, Jordan Titoni, it doesn't really tell you as much. Uh, and he does have that arm injury loss and it was basically a submission, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and I think most grapplers would kind of agree there. Um, you know, so it's tough, it's tough, you know, his resumes, um, got some, got some question marks, got some question marks in it. And, um, you know, you're looking at him at a minus 180 favorite here coming off a first round knockout loss. You know, we've seen that end up, uh, 
you know, sideways in the past many times. And uh, I won't be laying that, I don't think. But it also could be recency bias for me. I, I'm going to investigate this one a little bit further. But just my gut instinct is that somebody like Lucas Almeida, you know, um, let's look at his record. You know, he's got one loss on his record to Daniel Zellhuber. Daniel Zellhuber, you know, looked tough. You know, looked very good in his uh, most recent fight. Looked very bad the outing before that. But it was his UFC debut. You know, you kind of give him a break. So Almeida, you know, got beat on the contender series. Unanimous decision. Goes out and gets another finish win. And then the knockout over Mike Trezano. He's had a couple bouts fall through. Uh, to Hugoff, botched weight cut. Andre Feely, eye injury. Dawoodoo withdrew from the fight. So nobody wants to fight this guy after he knocked out Mike Trezano, who, again, is a very tough guy. He's a local um, so shout out to Mike Trezano and, uh, and the guys over at Tiger Shulman's. But when you're looking at, you know, how that fight progressed, it was a competitive back and forth fight, but Almeida stayed tough, stayed in it with a guy who's UFC tested, who's been there, who's been in some of these 15 minute fights. And he put him out of there in round three, man. He kept hurting him throughout that fight. And when he got hurt, he stayed in it. So he's just, to me, a very tough guy to put away on the feet. And I want to see, you know, way more of a suspect ground game. I, I got to go back and look at his, uh, his work on the ground, but I just feel like if he's got anything to work with on the ground and he's got a lot of wins, uh, by sub just from, uh, scanning his record regionally, you know, against some guys that have decent records on paper. So, you know, I'm not going to count this guy out here, um, too early, but I do think Pat Sabatini is a real talent. I'm just a little bit concerned about the chin. Um, and, and again, just some of the, the things that we've seen, the injuries, um, and it doesn't seem like guys want to fight Lucas Almeida right now in the UFC. So I take note of something like that. And again, Pat's a good fighter. Very good. Highly skilled from a great team. All those things are true. But the one thing that I look at as a real uh, potential red flag is just are people overrating this win streak of, uh, you know, prior to the Damon Jackson fight of TJ Laramie, Tucker Lutz, Jamal Embers, and Tristan Connolly, you know, I'm just asking. I'm just asking questions. You know, I haven't bet the fight yet, but I think that uh, I understand why people would be coming in a little bit on this underdog shot on Almeida at the current price. Next up, we have Nicholas Moda taking on Manuel Torres. And, you know, investigating my, uh, my research on Manuel Torres was a little bit alarming because I do have in my notes, uh, let me pull it up. I have really detailed uh, fighter notes on, on a lot of fighters that fight in the UFC and Manuel Torres. I don't have very detailed notes, but I took some notes before he fought on contender series. And this is what I have on his fight against Mahatma Garcia Avalos in club hardcore three on 11, three, 2018 at 145 pounds, Quinta Rue, Cancun, Mexico in the main event. Um, I said Loco's punching early, right into the clinch, gets elevated on a single leg, used the guillotine in the fence to get back up and threaten his own subs, ends up on top in a scramble. Opponent rolls through for a leg entanglement. He tried to posture and punch. Then he looked for a straight angle, excuse me, a straight ankle lock, and ended up getting heel hooked instead. Garcia Avalos defeats Manuel Loco Torres via sub one heel hook at 59 seconds of the very first round. That fight... In 2018, you know, that's a long time ago, five years. Could have gotten a lot better. But what that showed me was at 8-0, he lost to an 8-7-1 fighter who was, you know, a little bit of a journeyman. 
and he lost via submission in the very first round. If that was a isolated incident, I think we could write it off as, you know, a little bit flukish or, or, you know, maybe just something to forget about. But then the same thing happens in 2019. Carlos Calvo Calvo, admittedly a undefeated 6-0 prospect at the time. He is now 7-3 for whatever it's worth on a three-loss streak. And I think that, you know, uh, he's from VFS Academy, so very good school. He's probably fighting very tough fighters, so I don't want to take anything away from him. He's 24, could be getting better. But again, hasn't been on the hottest streak since submitting Manuel Torres with the knee bar in the first round. Then we look at the win streak. Daniel Vega, uh, rear naked choke in combate. Over a 12-2 and two fighter, so that's kind of impressive. I don't know Daniel Vega. He's now 12-8-1, so that was probably a little bit of a fraudulent 12-2, and two, but either way, we wish him the best. He beat Carlos Enrique Canada, and I have this one in my notes as well. Carlos Enrique Canada, Canada, excuse me, that, not to be disrespectful. I didn't see the uh, Enye, but um, Carlos Enrique Canada, Canada, it almost sounds like can. It's it's a little bit disrespectful, but it almost sounds like can. 10, 11, and 0. Uh, this guy was submitted via guillotine choke in 25 seconds. And I was talking about just Loco. I thought he looked impressive, well-muscled, low body fat percentage. Um, I said kind of slow feet, good hard one-two from Torres. Torres put himself in the clinch, but locked a very tight guillotine on a standing entry. So again, didn't create the separation necessarily that you wanted to see from him, but he was able to submit a journeyman fighter. Then he goes out there and finishes nine and three Colton England on the contender series. And I backed him in that spot. I believe, um, I think I ended up hitting the knockout prop, but I'd have to go back and check in any case. Um, in fact, let me go back and check. I don't want to mistake it. I feel like I, or actually maybe I bet him against Camacho. Either way, I ended up betting him against uh, against one of his opponents in the UFC because he's been fighting a pretty low level of guys. You know, Colton England, um, a guy that hasn't made it yet on the UFC level. His recent run, he's 13 and four, but he's on a four fight win streak. So some credit to be deserved there. Um, and it, in fact, he's on a four fight win streak since losing to Manuel Torres via knockout in the first round. But he does show... Uh, one, two, three other first round knockout losses uh, on his resume. Um, four, five, if you consider his amateur fights as well. So basically, the way to beat Colton England is via strikes, but otherwise, you know, he can implement some grappling and, and have some success and maybe have some strikes of his own, but uh, maybe a better hammer than a nail, let's say, so far in his career. Frank Camacho, you know, he's a guy who's Again, a fun action fighter, but been on the wrong end of one, two, three, four, five, six of his last eight fights, guys. So, you know, he's just been on a rough run. Um, let's look at how old our guy, Frank the Tank, is 34 years of age. So a little bit older for this lightweight division, uh, perhaps, and also just had a bevy of wars, 22 and nine, a little bit older in fight years. So. Camacho, fun fighter, action fighter, but struggling at the UFC level. I think that's fair to say at 170 and at 155. So now he's taking on Nicholas Moda. And let's give some context to the Moda resume. We've got 30-year-old Nicholas Moda here from Extreme Couture. Very good gym. 
uh, won some fights in CFFC, one of the best uh, regional promotions in the world. Um, you know, and you know, shout out to the Beast Coast, East Coast baby, putting out some real prospects uh, coming into the UFC. But he also is a guy that struggled in terms of that durability. And I think when you look at the UFC, they've got a certain way of putting together these matchups where, you know, Moda, he doesn't tend to be a guy who wants to put it on the ground always. He wants to, you know, find his shots on the feet, pick his range. You know, he's a dangerous fighter. And I think that um, when you look at what Moda does well, he's a good boxer. He moves his head, uh, you know, he does some stuff, but his defense is still a work in progress. And I do think that Manuel Torres could certainly win this fight by knockout. You know, he's a dangerous puncher. He's a long guy. He seems like he's on all the good um, supplements. He's a very uh, athletic fighter as is. He came in from the regional scene looking very athletic, but, you know, he also just looks insanely muscled out. Looks like he puts in a lot of work, a lot of effort in the gym, and looks like he's fully focused and all in. You know, let's look at some of the intangibles here uh, in terms of how these two match up. He's going to have a two and a half inch reach advantage on the Torres side. And he's also going to be one inch taller, two years younger here. So some slight uh, anthropomorphic advantages for the Torres side here. But he also, um, you know, has probably just a touch more of the natural power and a little bit better durability on paper. I think Moda would be smart to try and take this to the ground. Uh, I have to look into his ground game a little bit more, but just knowing what I know about what we've seen from Torres, his ground game so far, he's got a very good guillotine. He's got good offensive jujitsu, but oftentimes that's to mask, you know, getting into extended exchanges. Um, and I think that, you know, somebody, um, you know, if they could extend him into deeper exchanges in jujitsu, they could still potentially find some of those holes, but in the first layer of takedown defense and also in his attacking offensive fundamental jiu-jitsu i think um you know torres is probably um going to have some good skills i just think that as it gets extended as it gets deeper into uh exchanges he would potentially struggle with some of those uh so shout out to our guy matt r uh with the dono appreciate you brother i always read if you guys have a question comment concern uh if you have a, a dono never asked for but always greatly appreciated my man thank you so much he said um Liam, glad you split from Rich. Disrespectful in the way he talks about fighters. Also not third-party tracked. Um, he actually is third-party tracked, my man. Uh, I will give him that credit. You can find his uh, his bet MMA uh, out there. But, um, you know, he also um, has just a different philosophy, a different way of being. Um, you know, we debated calling it the face and the heel podcast and things like that. You know, he uh, has a different attitude and, and way of being. And that's fine. You know, there's many different ways to approach life, but I'm going to do it my way on my show. Uh, he didn't want to be on the show anymore. So it's fine. It's, I wish him the best, but I'm going to continue doing the show. I'm enjoying doing the show and I appreciate everybody that sticks around and rocks with it. And we had, you know, if you guys go back, you guys can look as Chael Sun, it says publicly audited numbers. I did higher numbers on panels I've done in the past than I've done on shows uh, that we did together. So we did an experiment together. We had good success, but also I've had plenty of success on my own in the past. It's all good. Uh, and I wish everybody the best. So God bless. Uh, and I appreciate my guy. Don't tap podcast is 38 watching 16 likes guys. If you could drop a like on the video, I would truly appreciate it. 
uh, does a great thing to help this channel, uh, supports your guy a little bit. Always happy to break down these fights, uh, but you know it doesn't hurt if you guys show a little extra love. So I appreciate you guys, and thank you so much to our guy Matt R. I think that um, you know it's it's truly uh, an act of kindness. So I appreciate you, my brother, and uh, even the kind words. My guy Ryan says, "Appreciate the work you put in every week. It's my pleasure. I appreciate each and every one of you guys, uh, and I'm always going to be here. You know, you guys can look back. I've been doing this week in and week out for a lot of damn weeks, and I'm not going to stop anytime soon." Uh, I love doing this. So um, right back to it for me each and every time. Um, the next fight that we've got to talk about, folks, is Muslim Salikov and Nicholas Dalby at 170 pounds. Boy, oh boy. This is a fun fight to discuss because on the one hand, you know, Nicholas Dalby, he's been a little bit tricky as an underdog, you know. Um, I have a couple documents that I put together on a weekly basis, and I'm going to pull one of them up right now. Um, which is just the performance and odds range um, for UFC Vegas 75 fighters. And Muslim Salikov, guys, is 5-2 and two as a UFC favorite. I mean, the guy is just freaking money. And one of the times that he lost as a favorite is one of my uh, – I think I've only had six or seven max bets, like 10 units, just like all-in kind of play for me, just a huge bet – by my standards, I rarely, rarely do it. And I did the leech against Muslim Salikov because he had every box that I wanted to check. You know, just like every single thing. Like I felt like the UFC wanted him to win. I felt like the fans wanted him to win. I felt like he wanted to win really bad. I felt like he was a hungrier fighter. I felt like he was the bigger fighter. I felt like he hit harder. I felt like he was a faster guy. I felt like he was more durable. I felt like he wanted it more. Every, I, every box was checked for the leech. So I bet the leech hugely as a big, uh, you know, or as a medium size, a small plus 150, I think it was underdog there against Muslim Salikov. One of my favorite bets of all time. But Muslim Salikov, guys, as a favorite prince, that's why he's been a favorite in so many UFC fights. And when he's been a dog, you know, it's been a little bit of, uh, you know, one and oh, right. So like they got burnt when they made him a dog. They're like, nah, back, back to a favorite. So this is a guy who I think is probably just a better fighter than Nicholas Dalby, but Dalby finds a way to grease these fights. I mean, I didn't think he beat Daniel Rodriguez at all, but he was a plus two fifty dog. And I'll tell you, they didn't give me my money on Daniel Rodriguez. They just, they just didn't give it to me. So, uh, I felt like this was the kind of fight that stood out to me as, whoa, let's look for a potential sneaky under here. I feel like both these guys could potentially fall apart. You know, Dolby brings pressure. I feel like that could make Muslim Salikov at this age, at this stage of the game, uh, potentially fall apart a little bit down the stretch. But I also think that he could easily walk himself onto a huge shot and get knocked the hell out. Muslim Salikov is a dangerous power hitter, and he normally can point fight and do his little thing. But Dolby, I feel like, is... Uh, you know, able to get hurt to the body. I feel like sometimes he just walks onto big shots and gets cut badly on the head. Um, I just can't rely on on these guys. Um, let me look at the line here, see exactly what we're dealing with. Oh boy, I can't find this line. Do they not have it on here? Best fight odds is the absolute worst website, man. Here it is. It's it's listed under uh, UFC Fight Night Two Twenty Eight June Twenty Fourth. Because best fight odds sucks the horn. Um, Nicholas Dalby is a plus 140 underdog in some of the sharper markets. Looks like some of the square markets, maybe a plus 170. 
um, you know, plus 160. So pretty balanced fight, though, minus 180 to minus 200, it seems like. Pretty tight market with, uh, all things considered. For me, I'm not laying minus 200 on Muslim Salikov. He's 39 years of age, but um, he's fighting a 38-year-old. I don't think either one of these guys are, are um, you know, supreme pickings, but I do think I'm curious what this under is priced at. Of course, it is not listed on Best Fight Ads, so uh, I'll be curious. You know, I think sharp money was probably on Dolby early for sure. You know, it's just too wide of a line for a volatile fight in a weight class like 170 where anybody could get slept. You know, just at one, you guys got to think like, you know, when we're dealing with, uh, you know, 35, 45, some guys have power, not everybody. So you can kind of cap that in a little bit, but like, it doesn't matter if I have great power or not. It's 170 pounds. It's 200 pounds. If I hit you with my shin in the face. It's like, you could just go to sleep. Charles Oliveira the other night. I mean, bravo, a couple shins to the face and Benil Dariush was reduced. So, uh, it was, it was a great showing. And, um, I even want to do some kind of reaction to that pay-per-view because just some of the things on that, on that show blew my mind. And Charles Oliveira continues to win world titles with knees to the body. It's like this guy just, um, you know, he keeps it very offensive at all times, you know, good, a good defense is a good offense. And he just kept on the offense, whether it was on the ground or on the feet. So he really blew me away this weekend, but, uh, back to this fight, I just thought, you know, this doesn't really scream minus 200 favorite to me. seems like a little bit of a closer line fight, but I do agree. Muslim Salikov probably got to be minus 150 here um, or maybe a little bit shorter, but like, I, I just think he's got to be favored in this fight because uh, he's better. You know, I just think he's a better fighter than fighting uh, at a little bit of a higher level, but you know, he's also starting to show his age. I think a little bit in these fights. Um, certainly I thought that was the case in the leech fight. I thought he was just clearly slower than him. Um, but Dolby again is 38. Uh, he's had problems outside the octagon. Uh, he's been cut from the organization before. So yeah, my gut instinct here is that Salikov probably decapitates him at some point. Next up, we've got the preliminary headliner. And uh, I I kind of have a opinion on this one already. Um, I'm going to just go through the chat real quick because we've had so many uh, sharp people commenting. Um, my guy, Matt R says he took Torres sub plus 500 or 600. Good stuff. Um, you know, Torres, he's got those dangerous guillotines, man. I, I certainly won't discount that. I think his club and sub game is strong. Um, shout out to don't tap podcast says, do your thing. Liam, one of the top guys in the space. Thank you for your work. I appreciate that. It's always my pleasure. Hype for another breakdown, Liam. Let's do it. My man, we got the prelims to go and we've got Thursday, uh, already one great guest lined up. Um, excited to announce that soon. And hopefully, uh, we'll get one more guest on the show as well. Uh, got another couple guests lined up for future shows as well. Guests that you haven't seen returning friends of the show. We got all sorts of great stuff and, uh, we're just getting started. So if you haven't already get that subscribe button going, uh, get that like button going, show love and, uh, appreciate each and every one of you guys. Um, winner fights Mike Malott. I love that, uh, from don't tap. You know, I think that's a good way to boost that highlight. You know, if you guys don't believe it, go back and watch from last week. Everything's timestamped, but go back to that Mike Malott prediction where I said Mike Malott is going to submit this man with a guillotine choke. I told you why. I went back to the exact fight tape. A lot of people say they watch tape. A lot of people say they have research. A lot of people say they have notes, but then I have exact receipts on a lot of fights and it's happened over and over and over again. I said it was going to be a guillotine choke. So go back and check the receipts on that. I didn't even bet it because I'm stupid and I didn't check, but 
a few people in the lab VIP sent me their tickets of the guillotine choke plus 800 on BetMGM uh, exact submission. And I said, the only way I've bet this fight is the exact sub at crazy odds on the sub. Uh, for the guillotine choke. So Mike Malak continues to be a guillotine assassin. It takes one to know one. I'm trying to mold myself into one every day. I study great guillotines. I know he has a great one. Uh, so shout out to Mike Malat. Um, you know, I've said, I think in some positions, Fugit could have given him trouble, but those are the positions where if he gets hurt, his club and sub game is nasty, man. And when he came out of Team Alpha Male, dude, Team Alpha Male is known for that guillotine. Uh, that guillotine is disgusting. The way they transition from one to the next to the next, they've got a lot of ways to finish it. And a good guillotine is just a path to another good guillotine. That's all it is. You want to get out of this one? No problem. Let's get to the next one. Let's get to one that's even deeper. That's it. That's how a guillotine should work. And if not, I'm on top. You know, there's a guy, Karev uh, Silver Fox. Study him. Karel Silver Fox Pravic, I think his name is. He coaches Aaron Blanchfield. He coaches some of the highest level people in the world. He's done work with Faraz Sahabi and George St. Pierre. He's done work with John Danaher and all the best guys. He's learned from all the best guys. His guillotine series is uh, revolutionary in my view. A lot of the best people in MMA use it. And, you know, when you get stuck in guillotines on bottom, that's when the guillotine becomes a less effective maneuver. When you use it, as an offensive attacking position to stay on top and stay in advantageous positions. It, it's just a fantastic um, hold. And I think, you know, things that you will continue to see in the MMA meta, the body triangle and the guillotine choke, because they're extremely effective. They work just so well. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's getting, it, it's a cycle always in grappling arts of, uh, you know, people get really good at attacking and people start to get much better at defending the, the chokes uh, or the attack. So, you know, the leg lock defense has improved exponentially. Why? Because people are getting their stuff, um, you know, torn apart. So I think uh, it's always a constant evolution of offensive defense. And I think guillotine offense right now, um, you know, is, is surpassing a lot of fighters level of guillotine defense. Let's say that. Um, it's the reason why Jack Hermanson almost made a career of a guillotine he learned at a John Danaher seminar. I mean, seriously, go back and look, and he's submitting black belts. So um, jiu-jitsu is constantly evolving. That's the point to take away uh, from this conversation. Appreciate each and every one of you guys. A lot of really sharp banter in the chat. We got 49 people rocking with us live. Uh, we get to debate whether or not Dolby is a cardio case for the whole week. Yeah, man. I mean, he kind of comes and goes like the wind with that cardio, right? Uh, I think he's been showing up motivated for his last couple of fights, but um, you know, it's kind of just a little bit hit and miss with him at times. So wish him the best. Uh, Cashville Regan says, appreciate the work you always put in brother. Uh, you know, it's my pleasure, my man. I appreciate you being here. Uh, everybody that drops a like on this video. I appreciate you. If you ever subscribe to this channel, I appreciate you. If you drop comments, I appreciate you. If you act in the live chat, I freaking appreciate you. So uh, everybody that's here, thank you for your support. Next up, Howney Barcelos, Miles Johns were in it. Um, you know, Howney is probably going to be a little bit slept on this week would be my initial impression. The reason I'd feel that way is just, you know, he got knocked out in his last fight. He's a little bit of an older fighter, seven years older here, in fact. Um, and he's minus 225 in this spot. You're looking at a couple fights ago, he's minus 400 against Victor Henry. I think Victor Henry would beat Miles Johns, honestly. So, um, you know, it's kind of a tricky, it's tricky though, because everybody's skills match up differently. You know, Miles Johns can wrestle. So maybe Victor Henry, uh, would be a tough matchup, but I think Victor Henry could come on really strong and beat Miles Johns down the stretch and just out cardio him, land a lot of shots. 
Um, so I think that, you know, the loss to Mario Bautista, I could forgive that. The loss to John Castaneda, you know, I could forgive that. But I thought the Adrian Yanez fight was close. You know, I thought that that was a very close fight. Um, you know, going to split decision with Cole Smith, that's not it. That's not inspiring to me, my man. Uh, that was a really sketchy fight. I felt like Cole Smith, a tough kid, um, you know, worked hard, tried to be here, but I, I don't think he was at the level. Um, seven and three now on the regional scene on a three fight losing streak, lost to Miles John by split, lost to Hunter Azure, good fighter by unanimous, lost to John Sweeney by split at XMMA Black Magic. In April last year, he has not been seen since. So wish him the best. But uh, our guy Cole Smith, a little bit in that rebuilding process, or um, you know maybe move into something else. Kevin Natividad, you know I've I've harped on this before. If you've listened to my content, the reason I I don't really vibe with Miles Johns, you know he's clearly holding the glove um, of Kevin Natividad. Blasted him with an uppercut. Potentially changed his life and career. Um, so I just didn't love to see that. You know it was. Uh, you know, it was a vicious knockout, and he was already whooping on on Kevin a little bit, but just pretty unnecessary. Clear foul. I thought it should have been overturned to a DQ as well. Um, then he beats Anderson Dos Santos. You know, clear journeyman type of fighter, 21 and 8, now 24 and 10, 37 years of age, 1 and 3 in the UFC. Only win in the UFC was a guillotine choke over Martin Day, who I think was 1 and 4 in the UFC or 0 and 5 in the UFC, if my memory serves. So, you know, just not a beautiful stellar resume that's really blowing you away. You know, it's it's good on paper. The win over Adrian Yanez, you know, certainly aging like fine wine. Win over Levi Moles, good good win, no doubt about it. Um, but you know, those were unanimous decision um, and split decision. You know, even the Kyle Machado win. You know, nothing to take away from that. But just since he's got to the UFC, even the Vince Morales win. How inspiring is that? You know, Vince Morales, twelve and seven overall, three and five in the UFC. Um, his last win was over Taruto Ishihara at XMMA bash at the beach. So again, a guy who's trying to work his way back to the UFC, not UFC level at this point. So I think County Barcelos skill for skill is better than Miles Johns at everything. I really believe that. So the question is like, how washed is County Barcelos? And I don't think he's that washed. You know, I thought he was fighting very well against Umar, but I also thought that Umar was clearly the side against Tony because he was the much younger fighter. You know, ask who the UFC wants to win. They never wanted Hounie to win. There's a reason they didn't promote him up the damn card. Uh, you know, I don't think now they care if he wins or loses, right? He's not on the big streak anymore, and people can't say he deserves a title shot and this and that. You know, he's a little bit older. He didn't speak great English. They didn't want to promote him for a title shot. I mean, let's just call the business what it is. They, they saw he's, oh, he's really skilled. Let's wait him out. Let's see until he gets old, and then we'll give him the hardest guys. So that's like, yeah, like that's a recipe to lose. You know, they tried to give him Victor Henry, a guy who was extremely experienced from Japan, and nobody knew who he was. And like now it's like, oh, he's a bum. He stinks. You know, I bet Victor Henry there, plus 425. One of my favorite bets again of all time. One unit on Victor Henry, plus 425. Victor Henry is a guy that will fight for your damn money. You know, is he a guy that you should lay minus 400 against the sunset? No, but is he a guy? And I thought that that was an underperformance from him as well. I didn't think he looked like himself at all. Um, but I think that, you know, this is the kind of thing where Howdy Barcelos, I feel like might remind people what time it is because I think Miles Johns might be a touch, um, you know, I don't want to say fraudulent, but I just think, you know, 
when he meets suit like real resistance from an experienced fighter, I think he he may fall apart. Um, and I, I think that that's what he's going to get. You know, I think County Barcelos is a guy that doesn't need to fight to prove much. And I think he's going to come out here and fight to prove a lot because uh, that last fight, people are talking, man. People are talking about it. he's done. He's washed. His chin's gone. And we'll see. You know, I think Umar is a scary guy to fight. I don't know that anybody wants to fight him in the bantamweight division right now. I'm sure a lot of people's phone is on silent. You know, I think a lot of people are on vacation, right? I think a lot of people, when Umar Nurmagomedov gets brought up there, they're out to dinner, you know, they just got an injury. They're getting surgery. They got to get a haircut. Like so, something came up uh, because Umar is a scary guy to fight right now for a lot of people. So um, I think that's something to keep in mind. You know, Howney Barcelos, 17 and four, great record more experienced on paper. Um, let's look at his UFC resume as well. Six and three in the UFC wins over Trevin Jones lost via majority decision to Timor Valley. And that was a close fight, but probably deserves to lose that. Khalid Taha, Saeed Nurmagomedov, a win that has aged well. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, Carlos Huchain. Huchain? I don't know him, but overall, Kurt Hollibaugh, um, and then prior to that, even Dan Moret, Bobby Moffitt, you know, he's beaten some pretty good guys uh, regionally as well. Lost via rear naked choke to Mark Dickman back in 2014. So he hadn't been finished since 2014, got finished, uh, you know, against Umar in his last fight. Does that make him tentative? You know, after his last finished loss, he knocked the guy out in the first round. Um, so... Maybe uh, Hani Barcelos comes in here and uh, gets after it. I actually think you are freaking spot on. Um, I think you're right about every part of this. My guy says, MJ Jab is fraudulent. Looks like a damn shot put. Yeah, I just don't think he believes in his striking. And I think when he faces real resistance from a guy like Hani who could box, um, unless Hani gets knocked out, I think uh, my guy's in for a very long night, if not getting finished. And I, I just think Hani's better everywhere. I truly do. Um, so. Good luck. However you're playing it. Liam doing the damn thing. Appreciate you, George. Got a lot of great people rocking with us live. Another friend of the show, Uncle Wheezy. What's up, Liam? Hard to see Howney losing this fight. My man, I agree with you. Uh, the line is the only thing scaring me. You know, if he was minus 250, I'd even feel safer. But, you know, I'm going to wait and see how this shakes out. I, I think Howney's the side here, though. My guy Matt says he's feeling Miles Johns here. Has a lot of power. But I get it. How needs to clear minute winner? I feel you, but I also think the power is just a touch overrated. I mean, he's got a lot of power, but he's not knocking out Kevin Natividad until the very third round. Uh, you know, where he's grabbing the glove to get it done. Um, you know, he's knocking out Anderson Dos Santos again in the third round, uh, getting it done late. Doesn't knock out Vince Morales, who's a tough guy. Doesn't knock out Cole Smith, who's a tough guy. Doesn't knock out Santiago, doesn't knock out Yanez, doesn't knock out Kyle Machado, doesn't knock out Levi Moles, does knock out David Miramontes. So he's a guy that he's got some knockouts. He certainly has some power, but I do think that Hani Barcelos, you know, I mean, again, just the the body of work, you know, I don't think Miles Johns is is on the same level as uh, one of those guys, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't put Miles Johns on the level of Umar on the level of Victor Henry or on the level of Tamor. Um, but styles make fights, you know, and I think that, um, Victor can win more fights at a high level, but I think that miles might actually beat Victor just because of the style. Um, 
That's the that's the funny thing about fighting, man. Apologies to my guy, Daz. He lost four units on Fugit, he said. After that kick to the liver, I believe he was kind of done. Yeah, man, I tend to agree with that. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think you're wrong there. But also, you know, we've seen it against Shimon Smotrisky, who I believe is a jiu-jitsu fighter first. And um, that was that was literally before the fight had ever gotten started. There was no strikes exchanged. He just submitted him instantly with a guillotine. So Mike Malat, uh, good guillotine um, by and large. But yeah, I agree. You know, best way to guillotine somebody is to hurt them uh, to the point where they don't try and defend it. Next up, we got Jimmy the Brick Flick against Alessandro Costa. Alessandro Costa, pretty sizable favorite here against a very dangerous submission grappler in Jimmy the Brick Flick. Uh, let's see if Alessandro Costa has ever been submitted. No, he's been knocked out a couple times, but he's never been subbed. One loss by split decision as well. Doesn't seem like he uh, he's blown many people out of the water. Got a win by split decision on Contender Series. Didn't get the contract. So Costa seems like a little bit of a work in progress, but also seems like a guy who's probably got the physicality to make it hard for Jimmy Flick. And he's also listed as a jiu-jitsu fighter. I would assume he's a black belt. I'm trying to check that out on Instagram right now. Um, yeah, he's definitely a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So, yeah, it's probably a really tough fight for Jimmy Flick, to tell you the truth. You know, if you're fighting to the third round with Amir Albazi, yeah, you're probably, you know, pretty decent. Pretty decent. I think he even made Albazi compete there um, in the first round. Um, so... I think this is probably, you know, a Costa fight, but do I want to lay it with a guy who's only 27 and, you know, who's at a size disadvantage here against a motivated Jimmy Flick coming off a loss? Um, you know, he's a really dangerous uh, jiu-jitsu fighter, man. But I'm going to watch Costa's tape because to tell you the truth, I just don't know a ton about the guy, um, especially pre-UFC. I feel like he's a guy that I don't really remember from the contender series. I feel like part of his problem has been he's been a little underwhelming. But Jimmy Flick is a walking highlight reel, but he also, you know, he kind of wins or loses in in fiery fashion. And he's done the R word before the retirement um, deal. So a couple of things to to be nervous about on that side as well. Charles Johnson put an absolute audit on him um, in his last fight. And, you know, maybe didn't seem like he was fully prepared uh, cardio-wise. And that's certainly something that you always want to um, bet against more often than not. You know, ABC say always bet on cardio. Wow, uh, Matt R, great shout. I almost don't even want to put that on screen. That's such a good shout. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll put that on screen. Costa sub plus 900. I mean, that, that sounds quite wide. Um, but, you know, we did see Jimmy Flick kind of just uh, cover up to punches most of his career. You know, I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome here. Um, if if he's to lose this fight, I think Costa would probably get the, uh, get the TKO. But yeah, man, I don't hate the... Uh, I don't hate the plus 900 shout. I think the ITD might be interesting as a way to buy down this price because Jimmy Flick's a very killer-be-killed fighter. And our guy Zach agrees, thinks Flick's getting finished. So shout-out to the chat, man. A lot of great input. Appreciate what you guys have to say as well. Just to list off the intangibles before we move to the next fight, Jimmy Flick is five years older, but he is going to be sporting a three-inch height and reach advantage, and he does like those flying triangles, those crazy submissions. So I think you basically got to bet Jimmy Flick in the first two and a half minutes, or 
you've got to not bet Jimmy Flick at all. You know, he just hasn't really showed the cardio to go uh, in these recent fights. So I think that's something to, uh, to pay attention to. And yeah, I think me and Zach are kind of on the same wave here. Costa by KO or TKO, uh, depending on what that prop opens up, will probably be something I look at uh, just because I feel like he's probably going to have that ability. The Cuban assassin does point out a very important intangible flick has a nine inch mullet advantage. So we've got to add that to the capping formula here and, and see what it fits out. But we can move along here to the next fight guys. Um, we've got plenty of flyweight action to talk about. So don't worry. We'll be back in the flyweight division, but for now we're kicking it to the 135 pound men's division, bantamweight, Kyung Ho Kang taking on Christian Quinones and, Again, in terms of due diligence, these are two guys I got to do a little bit more due diligence on. Um, as far as Kyung Ho Kang goes, not a great um, you know, fighter. He's kind of had a little bit of soft matchmaking at times in the UFC, but he has put together a really solid 7-3 and three record. It's just that he's been favored to win most of these fights. Let me pull up, again, my document. 5-1 and one as a UFC um, favorite. So he's going to be the underdog in this matchup. He's only two and two as an underdog in a four fight sample. So not a lot of opportunities, but the uh, times that he lost as a dog um, were against Ricardo Ramos by split decision as a plus 240 dog. That was all the way back in 2018. And wow. Aniyaya. Yeah, that was a fight where he closed like plus 100 on some books, minus 120 on others, and he lost that one. But he's also come through as an underdog before as well. He came through as a dog against, um, who was it? Man, it must have been, I think Bakari was a pick'em fight. But he came through as a dog all the way back against Michinori Tanaka. By split decision back in 2014. Wow. So this guy's just been around for a really long time. But Kyung Ho Kang has not fought the best uh, brand of competition. I think his best win in recent years is definitely that Dana Batgari win by unanimous decision at UFC 275. But it's been a year since he's been in the octagon. Christian Quinones, on the other hand, let's see when he was last active. Last September. So basically nine months out of the cage, and he got a first-round knockout over Khalid Taha um, after you know decisioning Long Zhao on the Contender Series. And he had a few decisions prior to that uh, on the regional scene. But he has shown losses via stoppage three times in his career. So all of his career losses coming inside the distance. And in this fight, uh, let's see. Kinones... Let's see what the intangibles are for height and reach here. So he's going to be coming in at a one-inch height disadvantage, a three-inch reach disadvantage, but he is going to be eight years younger in this spot, coming out of Entrum Gym. This seems to me like a fight where you know either guy could win. And the reason I say that is because I think Quinones is probably going to have some success on the feet here. Um, you know, let's just pull up his share dog as well. The guy's got 10 wins by knockout in 18 professional wins. So he definitely has some power, definitely has the ability to score wins by knockout. But, you know, 
I don't want to overrate that here because Kyung Ho Kang, you know, you can't really fault the durability too much. Um, one loss by knockout shows on his record. Let's scroll on through. Yeah, all the way back in 2008. So this guy has not been finished via strike since 2008. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. Uh, but he is 35 at 135 pounds, you know, and dreams can't last forever. He is 18 and nine overall. He has dropped a couple decisions. So I think that his striking did look improved in his last fight. You know, he's a guy that's shown some growth and improvement over time. Certainly can't, uh, you know, withhold him of that, but he's basically a 500 fighter. If it goes to the cards, you know, five and six and fights that go to decision. So last fight, he looked good but dropped a decision against Hani Yaya, another age contemporary there. So now he's fighting a much younger fighter here. Let's look at Penguin Lu. He was 26, but I've never even heard of the gentleman with all due respect. I don't think he's a very good fighter. Brandon Davis, a guy who's really struggled at the UFC level, and he's also in his 30s. Oh, well, he was 29 at the time, but now he's in his 30s for sure. And... They had the no contest split against Alex Caceres back in the day. I mean, the guy is a absolute, um, you know, grinder. He's been around a long time, but the the level of matchmaking has been incredibly soft for a guy who's been around this long. And I think that Quinones, you know, is a guy that the UFC circle in is a, you know, let's see what we got here. Nine months of development for a guy who's coming out of Entrum Gym, you know, a gym that's been streaking a little bit, um, you know, having some success at times. And, you know, Mexico's been on a little bit of a surge, but who knows after that Aldana, um, you know, laying an egg, I think that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's something to temper our enthusiasm just a little bit, but we'll, we'll see how this performs. I'm going to have to find out exactly what I think of Quinones on review, but, you know, overall, I can't rate the Khalid Taha win too much. Um, and let's look at the odds here. Best available. Kyung Ho Kang is a plus 150 underdog here. Kinone is coming back a minus 165. I mean, as gross as it feels, I'd probably be more tempted on the underdog there in Kyung Ho Kang, but I'm going to wait and see. I want to see what the physicality looks like as well, because physicality could play a huge role in MMA. Um, so that's just something I'm thinking about here. Next up, guys, let's take a look at the next fight on the bill. Take a sip from the odds mod. All right. Next up, Carlos Hernandez and Denise Bondar. I I like to take, um, you know, I'll take Miles, right? I bet on a Rene Aldana, and she took an absolute egg in the octagon. I never had on my bingo card. She wasn't going to attempt offense. I just didn't have that in my expectations. But I will take credit for the wins and the losses, right? That was a bad bet. Good bet from the past or a bet that worked out for me, let's say. Malcolm Gordon against Denise Bondar. Nobody wanted to bet Malcolm Gordon. I mean, he's just a guy that's got a, a chin liability. He's a tough guy to bet on. And I bet him there at over two to one. The line moved against me, kept going out, and I didn't add to it. I was like, oh God, did I take a bad side? Um, and I think that overall, this is a fight where, you know, Denise Bondar, the, the thing that I asked when he was fighting Malcolm Gordon that ultimately made me bet Malcolm Gordon 
And again, it, it ended via arm injury. I don't want to read too much into it, but I thought Malcolm was having some success. I didn't think he looked like he was outclassed there. Um, you know, I didn't think he looked like he was um, getting blown out of the water. But when I think about the fact that Denise Bondar was fighting at Road to WWFC, Asset FC, Asset FC, WWFC, Road to WFC, Professional Fight Union, WWFC, WWFC, Road to WWFC, Professional Fight Union. And he had three losses as well in WLF Epic, Professional Fight Union, and uh, Professional Fight Union. Granted, he was fighting guys that had much more experience, 23 and 9 when he was 6 and 2, 10 and 5 when he was 6 and 1, 12 and 6 when he was 0 and 0, or in, that's in fact impossible because it says O and O and then O and O again. Um, so I'm guessing he was one and O, but I think that, you know, Bondar has kind of just had this weird career where he's fought mostly on his, his regional scene in Ukraine uh, and, you know, nearby areas and things like that. Uh, I think WLF is outside of Ukraine. Let me just double check that. Yeah. He went to China to fight in WLF. So he has traveled out of country, you know, he's done some things, but He's a guy that um, I was just a little bit unsure of. And now he's coming back off an arm injury. He's going to be 30 years of age here. And let's see when he was last active in the UFC. So it was last February. So he's been out, you know, probably about 16 months. And I want to see if there's anything about his recovery on his IG or anything like that. I'm kind of doing a quick stock with you guys here, but this is a, yeah, I'm not seeing anything about the injury. So really I want to hear a little bit from him. Um, probably going to have to get translated interviews, but I kind of want to know where his head's at. I want to know um, if his arm's okay. You know, fighters are often really forthcoming about things like, yeah, my arm doesn't work anymore. Or like, yeah, I feel a lot of numbness on my right side, but I think I should be able to fight. Like they'll just say the craziest stuff. So kind of want to see what he says. I want to see how he's feeling. Um, because you know, he was a guy that was on a really long win streak. was feeling good. was feeling, uh, you know, like a quick finisher and all this stuff. And then he ends up getting uh, finished pretty quick. Carlos Hernandez, on the other hand, let's look back through his record. Um, the only one finish loss, and it was via sub in round one against Alan Nascimento. Very dangerous grappler, high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu, really good camp, um, good physical attributes, strong guy. So I think that, you know, that loss I can forgive a little bit, but he's just not really distinguished himself against any UFC-level opponent. What do I mean by that, guys? He fought Victor Altamirano, a guy who just got completely audited by Tim Elliott. Split decision lost to Victor Altamirano in a very close fight. Or excuse me, split decision win over Victor Altamirano. I thought he sh probably should have lost. Daniel Barres on the Contender Series. Another really close one. I bet on Victor there. Uh, I didn't, I, or excuse me, not Victor. I bet on Carlos there. I didn't even know that Carlos um, deserved a knot against Daniel Barres. It was a very close fight. So two split decision wins. He ekes them out, could have went either way. And then he gets instantly finished by Alana Cemento, a high-level uh, guy. So I think both these guys, um, you know, are probably around the same, you know, they're around the same, um, age. I do like Valley flow striking Academy, broadly speaking, but Carlos Hernandez hasn't showed the same finishing upside necessarily as some of his teammates, uh, and his counterparts. He's also going to be at a two inch reach disadvantage here. 
should have a two inch height advantage according to topology. And, you know, they're very similar in age, you know, a little bit older, one year older for Bondar, but I feel like this is an honest fight. Um, and the line kind of reflects that, you know, it's a pretty closely lined fight. Um, I would lean ever so slightly. I would make this fight minus 115 Hernandez minus 105 Bondar uh, because for Hernandez, you know, I don't know that he's got great finishing upside, um, but I feel like you have to slightly favor him because he's not coming off the injury, but he is coming off a potentially confident shaking first round submission loss. And I think that's something to be weary of. Shout out to our guy says Liam. Oh, <laughs> appreciate you quiz, but I'm not really trying to have drama or nothing, man. I wish everybody the best brother. Um, take no prisoner says, uh, did you guys break down Petrosian Duncan? My man? Yes, we did. And what we'll do is at the end of this show, I will timestamp everything as soon as I can. I can't promise it'll be tonight. Cause I'm going to get done with this very late, but, uh, if I can, I'll get it done tonight. If not, it'll be done by tomorrow very early. Uh, and we'll make sure we have timestamps up there so you can go back and check it out specifically. But if not, you could just go on back to the beginning and we broke down every fight on the card starting with the main event. Um, so we'll keep it rolling from here. Uh, but shout out to Denise Bondar for making the comeback. Uh, wish him well, you know, uh, not trying to celebrate his injury or anything, but just again, standing against the market, standing against the masses, taking an unpopular side and at plus 210, I feel like you could justify why Malcolm Gordon was aside there. He had UFC experience. He was a tough guy. He fought on the North American regional scene, which we know a little bit more about. Uh, some of those fighters are a little bit more known to us, a little bit more available footage and things like that. So I just felt like we knew that Malcolm had some real grappling skills. I mean, look at the Mikhaev fight. You know, Mikhaev's a skilled guy. He didn't just easily dispatch of Malcolm Gordon. He had to really work for it. So I feel like Malcolm Gordon just at plus 210 there was a little bit wide. You know, now... He Bondar goes from being the big favorite to a dog. Look at how fickle this MMA market is, huh? Right? How quickly the tides turn. So for a guy that's got two split decision wins and a first round submission loss in the UFC against, you know, against besides Alan Nascimento, fairly middling level UFC guys, with all due respect, guys that haven't really taken that big step up yet and mostly eking by on close split decisions. Next up. We've got Felipe Buenes taking on Zogus Zumagulov. And these are two guys whose records on paper don't look so good, but, you know, they're still fun action fighters and, and they uh, can bring it at times. You know, Zogus, he's been lulled into some boring fights in the UFC, but he's also been hard done, man. Let's look at the Zogus record. I felt like Zogus um, beat Charles Johnson thought that Zogis uh, probably beat Jeff Molina, and I thought that Zogis beat Howley and Paiva. That's my opinion. I thought that those were results that probably should have went his way. More, more often than not, I think they probably go his way. I think he lost very cleanly to Manel Cap and Amir Abazi. I think those guys are better than him. I think they're higher level, a um, little bit more athletic, a little bit more explosive. Uh, a little bit younger, a little bit more fundamentally sound maybe. But, you know, he's shown some decent skills. Did get the finish over Jerome Rivera. I mean, that was a layup. The UFC was like, bro, we're sorry that we keep giving you all these hard fights. Um, then they gave him Nate Maness, who I didn't think was an easy fight by any means, but I did think that Nate, you know, might struggle to cut the weight a little bit. 
Then Rafael Esteban botched weight cuts. So two guys botched their weight cuts trying to prepare for a date on May 5th. So this guy's trying to peak again a month later. It's the only thing that's a little bit scary for Zagas, but he's a pro, man. He's had over 20 professional fights, mostly at a really high level. He's been very hard done in the UFC. And this guy is coming in 13-6. and six. He's a plus-130 underdog in Felipe Buenes. He's coming out of Pitbull Brothers. Um, pretty good gym. You know, Pitbull Brothers, very solid. Uh, more names that you know outside in the Bellator organization. But this guy's breaking through. One and three in ACA, two and one in LFA, one and zero oh in ACB. So, you know this guy's shown something, but got submitted by Juicy A Formica. I think that's fair play. You know, no, no skin off your nose there. Lost a majority decision to a Russian in Russia on a three-fight losing streak. Lost to Murad Magomedov and Mansoor Katayev, both undefeated fighters at the time in ACA. So it doesn't look like this guy's lost to anybody bad, you know? Excuse me. Uh, it looks like he's fought a lot of really tough fighters, and it looks like overall he's had great results. So Felipe is one of the guys that I got to do more due diligence on, to tell you the truth. But just looking at his resume on paper, it looks like a solid fighter, man. 3-0 and to the knockout, never been uh, finished via knockout. 8-2. and two to the sub in his career. So again, pretty good record there. It's in decisions where he's fallen off, where he's fallen apart. Wow, guys, they're doing it. They're, they're really trying to figure it out. They're like, can Zalgas win a decision against a guy who's two and four in his career in decisions? Um, so I like to hear what my guy Daz says. He says, Felipe, a Muay Thai striker, mixes up the takedowns, shows a get-up game, looks like a scrappy fighter. Very interesting. We'll have to see how it goes. I mean, Again, the judge's least favorite fighter maybe ever is August Umagulov. But this guy, Felipe Buenas, hasn't always got the benefit of the doubt. A lot of fights in Russia against Russians. I think that explains a lot of it. But also, you know, he does have, he does, excuse me, have a loss on the Brazilian regional scene as well. So uh, I think it's all fair play. I'm going to have to watch a little bit more of his footage. He is going to have a big size advantage here. Three inches of fight, three inches of reach, one year younger or excuse me, four or five inches of reach, it looks like. Wow. So, yeah, pretty substantial sizes advantage. I want to see how these two guys size up. But Zagazuma Gulov in the UFC um, is one and one as a favorite. So, you know, he has not been making you money as a favorite. But um, we'll see how it goes. Nice. Interesting. Uncle Weezy says Felipe is a solid moment winner, has some knockdowns, and an opportunistic submission game. So, should be some fun tape to dig into. Seems like an active finisher, for sure. Next up, let's see what we got to dig into, folks. Teresa Bleda, another flyweight fight, you say? Indeed. Taking on Gabriela Fernandez. And I mentioned, again, you know, if you guys don't already, please go ahead and follow me on Twitter, at Fights. I appreciate that because I put a lot of work into some of this information I bring to Twitter. And one of the things here is, you know, you have Teresa Bleda in this fight. Coming in as a big favorite. Um, you know, her last fight, she came in as a dog against Natalia Silva, top prospect, um, you know, in the flyweight division, one of the top prospects right now. I think a lot of people have their eye on her. Then we're looking at Gabriela Fernandez on the other side, comes in, makes her UFC debut. And who did she get audited by? JJSP, Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, baby. Um, you know, I, we mentioned on the show last week, if you guys watched the panel show, how 
I thought that Jasmine Jasuda Vicious was the side. You know, I like Miranda Maverick. I thought she was a great fighter. Didn't end up betting the fight myself, but I just thought there's no way I could lay minus 250 in a fight where it's probably going to the judges and the judges in Canada are not going to give it to her. And on top of all that, you know, Jasmine just got a lot of size. She's a big girl. She's hard to wrestle. I, I thought that that was tricky. You know, here, this is an interesting one because I think Blade is going to have a lot to prove. I think she's a very competitive girl. I don't think she's going to sit well on that loss at all. I think she's going to come back very motivated here. But, you know, Gabriela Fernandez, not a bad fighter. You know, I don't think she's put together the same resume of wins, but she's shown that when she took steps up in competition, up until the Jasmine fight, she had done well. And we have seen a lot of girls um, – struggle a lot of fighters overall men women everybody struggle in their ufc debut how many times do we have to see it before we give people the benefit of the doubt and i'm not going to write off a gabriella fernandez because she lost to a good fighter who's a little bit undervalued and who's a little bit older and maybe doesn't get to applaud it shout out to our guy george jj is now ranked number 15 so canada is back in the rankings baby <laughs> uh it's been it's been some time uh mike malott maybe too in the future, but um, fun stuff all around. I think that Teresa Bleda, eight years younger in the spot, so going to have the youth on her side. She's three inches taller. She's uh, got some length to her as well. So giving up eight years in age, I, I think would be a little bit concerning here. Um, I think that Bleda is very strong. You know, she's very physically strong. I think her wrestling, grappling could be uh, interesting to mix in here. I think her striking is definitely a work in progress. Um, I did, you know, actually take a small flyer on the girl she fought on Contender Series to win by knockout at plus 1,600 because I had seen some signs of worry about her chin in the past. So let me see if this Fernandez girl has any knockout wins. Just two. Just two wins by knockout. And they were over 0-0 and... and Three and one, Yasmin Lucindo back in 2018. Oh my God, she beat the legend, Yasmin Lucindo. Yeah, Yasmin Lucindo was not much of a fighter when she first started out, but boy, oh boy, is she a good fighter now. So um, fun stuff. But I think that this is a fight that Teresa Bleda, you know, can win, you know, but am I looking to lay minus 275? I mean, goodness gracious, no, I am not. Not at all. Um, also the line's not really moving very much off this. So yeah, I just think there's a good thing about being younger, but how, yeah, exactly. I think this is a lot of good points being made in the chat. How does a 21 year old respond to almost being decapitated? Fair point. Um, think that it's going to be hard to out muscle Gabriella. Great point. So shout out to Daz and George, a couple good shots there. Uncle Weezy says he's taking a shot at the under two and a half at plus 200 here. I don't mind that at all. Um, female violence getting a little counterintuitive. I love it. Um, small shot on Fernandez. KO plus 1400. Brother, you're, you're in my head here, Weezy. I love where your head's at. Uh, don't know what I'm going to do with this fight yet, but just, you know, it's almost a point of diminishing returns when you're eight years younger and you're 21 taking on a 29-year-old, you know, that, that's a little tough. That could be a little tough. Sometimes in terms of physical, mental maturity, uh, preparation, things like that. So um, also responding to adversity. You know, Teresa Bleda, that was her first career loss. Gabriela Fernandez has bounced back from a career loss before. Lost to Maria Silva via unanimous decision on June 9th, 2018, on my freaking birthday. Um, 
this girl lost. And, uh, you know, since then, she's done a lot of good work. It gotten a lot of wins together. But she did lose to JJ in her last fight. She's taken 14 months out of the cage. So let's see what she turns in here. You know, let's see if she can improve on that original showing in the UFC. But I got to do more due diligence before I bet up a fight like this. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't envision myself laying a minus 270 money line. I would be more inclined to take the under with Uncle Wheezy. So shout out to Wheezy. Really interesting fight here next at 135 pounds. And I just want to, uh, you know, give a cheers to you guys and say, please, if you haven't already, drop a like on the video, get subscribed to the channel. Appreciate it. Another easy way to support guys. If you get tired, if you want to drop out, whatever it is, go ahead and find me on podcast platforms. Just put this all together. Took me a while to do. A lot of people have been asking for audio versions of the show. If you can rate the show on podcast platforms, five-star reviews, easy, free way to help. And I truly appreciate it. I just got put up on a lot of those platforms. It's an easy way to help more people find the show. And I would really appreciate your help. We've got Ronnie Lawrence taking on Daniel Argetta. Oh boy, Dan the Determined. If you're looking for the IG on this man. And I think he is really determined because, you know, at 145 pounds, you know, I wasn't super sold on the guy. He kind of got audited a little bit by Damon Jackson, the leech, you know, a guy who's big, long, just really uh, put a lot on him, right? And uh, Nick Aguirre, that was a much more winnable fight for him. Went out there, got the job done wrestled, wrestled, wrestled against a guy who knows jiu-jitsu, moved around him, got into a lot of um, advantageous positions. You know, he didn't even have to throw a lot of volume to win that fight, kind of just controlled it, kept it tight, kept it to the vest. And we saw Ronnie Lawrence take a beating, you know, against Saiju Kukakramanov. It was a really tough fight for him. It was an eye-opening experience, I'm sure. And he lost to Steve Garcia back in the day. Big guy, heavy-handed. Um, you know, a guy who maybe hasn't gotten all the respect he deserved for myself included. I feel like he's really shown himself to be special, uh, over time. Not, not a world-class fighter by any means. He could still be knocked out, puts his chin on the line. He's been hurt, but just a guy who's got really weird power in his hands and an ability to compete all the way 135 to 155. So Steve Garcia, shout out to that guy. But, um, you know, outside of that, this guy, uh, Ronnie Lawrence, had been putting together a nice streak. You know, Michael Ricketts got the win there. Garrett Arnfield, guy who's been around, got the win there. Jose Johnson, guy who's been around, got the win on Contender Series. So then he comes in, gets the UFC win against Vince Cachero, round three finish. You know, maybe underwhelming in terms of the fact it was round three, but he got it done. He looked aces there, got a lot of takedowns and stuff, looked good. Manny Martinez, a lot more dicey. You know, wore some damage in that fight. Got hit, got hurt a little bit. Managed to gut out the win, get the unanimous decision there. Sajikub Kakramanov audited this man in bad, bad ways. You know, Sajikub, um, to quote the legend Demetrius Johnson, looked pretty as a motherfucker after that fight. He did not look like he had a scratch here, there, or anywhere, right? He just looked like he had been out mowing the lawn or something. But this guy, Ronnie Lawrence, had mouse here, mouse there, uh, you know, swelling here, here, there, and everywhere. My guy was welted up. You know, my guy got beat on in that fight. He's a tough cat because he stayed in there. You know, he got out grappled. He was tired. He was getting beat up and he didn't quit. So I think what we could say about Ronnie Lawrence is that he's not a quitter. He's a tough guy. He wants to fight. He wants to stay in there, but I think he can be hurt. I don't think he wears damage particularly well for the division. Um, you know, Dan Argetta, 
I had noted before about the guy that he had done a decent job landing some overhands, landing some left hooks, getting into the pocket against some of these guys, um, you know, against Tercios. Let me go back um, because I have this fight taped out for Daniel Argetta. I got to do more tape on Dan, uh, especially some of the more recent UFC stuff. But back in the day, guys, I taped every fight that was on the Ultimate Fighter um, for the season, uh, 135 and whatever. Edson Bar, uh, It was Edson Barbosa and Giga Chikadze, the fight night. And I wanted to know about the fighters, um, Brian Battle and these guys that were going to be competing in the final. So I just watched the whole show just for the fights, not any of the you know banter and the nonsense. And I just watched all the fights and I taped them out. So Daniel Argetta uh, against Ricky Tercios. He was 5-0 and at the time. Tercios was 10-2. and So Tercios had you know way more uh, experience than him. And this is at 135, age parity. He was two inches uh, shorter, two-inch reach disadvantage. Argetta's a southpaw. Tercios was fighting out of orthodox, but he switched his stances. Um, and then I had, um, you know, body kick from Dan, uh, left straight behind it, nearly a head kick, outside low kick. He's controlling center through one minute, faking, fainting, ready to blitz, taking long-range opportunities with leg kicks uh, when presented. Tercio is trying to layer leg kicks with the rest of his game. Argetta is getting hit by a complete series. Defense exploitable when he is not pursuing offense. So for me, what stood out about that Tercio's fight was I wasn't in love with Dan's defense on the feet. He has good takedown offense. He's got good wrestling. I thought he won the first round um, because he had looked for a guillotine, uh, used it to pull guard into the top mount. Again, when I'm talking about how you use the guillotine right, you don't always end up on bottom. You end up on top, threatening. What's the worst thing that happens? I'm on top in the mount. Okay, that's why, uh, especially for MMA purposes, the best guillotines aren't ones that put you underneath and guard unless it's dead to rights, unless it's money, unless it's 100%, unless you're never going to miss it. Because if you miss it, you are now losing the round and you now need to get back up to your feet and you've created more work for yourself. You've obligated it. So um, I think that, People really got to uh, understand some of the, the meta here for the jiu-jitsu. And I think that for Argetta, he does understand some of that. Um, however, some of the things that are concerning, you know, Tercios turned up the volume on him. He was getting hurt with a little bit of shots early in the round, Tercios. And then uh, Argetta appears to be melting. Now, this is directly from my notes. Uh, this is in round two. Argetta appears to be melting now, looking to retreat and to wrestle. Little else. Tercios likes to do a pull lead hook counter. Tercios has a chin on him, eating tons of clean strikes thrown like baseballs. Nothing staggered uh, him bad or appeared to rock him. So basically, Argetta was getting through his shots. He's landing. He just couldn't hurt Tercios. And when he couldn't hurt Tercios, he just was trying to wrestle. And he couldn't wrestle him either. He had a tough time. And, um, you know, I, I felt like Tercios got the better of round two. So I thought it was 1-1. One, one, Heading into the third round on the Ultimate Fighter, Scott, this is a round you gotta win for your career. Tercios is confident AF in my notes. I didn't write AF in my notes. Stung him hard with the first jab, defended a takedown, and secured a double leg of his own. Tercios on top in half guard, stuck in a not very good guillotine attempt. Dan looking for guillotines and Kimuras on bottom, resigned to the fact that he's not getting up. Uh, Tercios now. Um, in the full guard, keeping heavy pressure, Tercios in a backpack position on the body triangle. So basically, guys, Dan Argetta ended up giving up the fight. You know, like 
I felt like he didn't try to get that up that hard. Then he gave up the body triangle. That's why it's the MMA meta. Once you get it locked in, if you're a really high level guy with long legs, it's very hard to get somebody off the body triangle at all. So I think that this is why this is a dangerous fight. You know, uh, my guy Zach had asked earlier what I thought the cardio dynamic was, and I really couldn't remember. But when I looked at the notes on Dan, you know, I'm concerned about the cardio just a touch. I felt like last fight he was able to put it in cruise control, right? He was able to park it. The question for me is how much energy does he have to expend to control Ronnie Lawrence in this fight? Because we have seen that, you know, when he goes against the best level of guys, he can get exploited in the wrestling. Let's just bring up the stats from that last fight, man, because it's impossible to ignore. Saeed Yacoub landed 10 takedowns to Ronnie Lawrence's one. It was only a 32-strike fight. 32 strikes. It was just a Saeed Yacoub wrestling clinic, dude. That's all it was. Ronnie Lawrence landed six takedowns on Mana Martinez, eight takedowns on Vince Cachero, and 12 takedowns on Jose Johnson. With all due respect, how the hell are those guys good wrestlers? They're not. You know? So they're just they're just very average wrestlers. And he got turned every which way but loose. So there's always levels to the wrestling. And I'm curious to see who's a level ahead. Because truthfully, I think that Dan Argett is a better wrestler than Ronnie Lawrence. So that for me was what instantly made me think he's a live underdog. You know, I think that when you look at the fact he's got a two-inch reach advantage, they are basically at one inch of separation and height, virtual parity. Argett is the younger fighter here by two years. So Ronnie Lawrence maybe puts the pressure on him. Um, you know, maybe he can outwork him later into the fight, but I don't like how much damage Ronnie's been absorbing in recent fights. I think Dan does hit hard. You know, Ricky Tercio, as I mentioned, had a great chin on him, right? What does a great chin mean? It means you're eating a lot of clean shots right here, right here on this and not going down. If Dan Argetta is hitting Ronnie Lawrence with a lot of clean shots on the chin, after all the damage he's taken in his last two fights, I don't like, I don't necessarily love that prospect. On top of that, I feel like Dan is going to come in with some confidence. Having got that big win, the opposite is true for Ronnie. You know, he, his confidence could be a little bit shaken here. So two tough guys, two guys that know how to fight, two skilled fighters, two guys with 10 fights as a pro, and the guy with more wins, who's probably a little bit of a better wrestler and who's got some momentum on his side, is the dog. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. So I will probably be looking at an underdog play or passing on that fight. Give you guys an early look. But I I understand the Ronnie love. I would potentially hedge it, you know, with a round three or something, if it makes sense. But I, I just, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I really... I just got to trust my gut a little bit. And I feel like Argetta, Dan the Determined, that's a guy that I like to I like to bet on a guy like that. A guy who's determined to win by any means necessary, shaved his head, deleted social media. I like that guy. Furio says, a bit late to the party, but I love Blada and Barcelos this week. Yo, shout out to you, Furio, um, with that Urseg max bet I, I believe you had. Sharp, sharp. Um, a bit late to the party. I love Blada and Barcelos this week. Hope you feel the same, brother. A uh, ton of spots to pick from this week. Yeah, man, I tend to avoid the big parlay legs, but I do think that, you know, uh, Barcelos is definitely 
uh, one that I, I would uh, lean towards this week. And um, I have to look into the other girl to be a little more confident, but I feel more confident fading Miles Johns than I do fading um, that other girl just because I don't know as much about her. I think Daz makes a good point here. Ronnie is meh. I bet the other guy. I think Ronnie is a little bit more sizzle than substance right now, but I don't think he's a bad fighter. I just think it's a tough matchup. You know, I think that the wrestling dynamic is going to be tough for him here because Dan commits to it and he's good at it. And that just was a real problem for him. When he's not the one having wrestling offensive success, it was a much different fight. Some unders on this card, Def Worth parlaying. Shout out Daz Dillinger. Furio says, Argetta plus 3.5 point spread will be a play for me. Think Argetta can win around at the very least on the feet. I favor Argetta. Shout out to the sharp commentary. I, I tend to agree with almost all those points, man. I think that uh, Argetta hits hard, tricky fighter, throws uh, his hands and his feet, you know, gives you multiple things to think about, and he could take your ass down, you know. It's a lot of things to like, I feel like, for a dog. But Ronnie Lawrence also is going to have a point to prove here. No doubt about it. So should be a fun scrap. Modestus Bukowskis and Zach Palga are going to kick off the card at 205 pounds. They snuck a light heavyweight fight back into the mix and technically speaking have been profitable betting on light heavyweight, but inherently much more volatile division. We had Zach Palga get absolutely flatlined and knocked out by Mohamed Usman. That was a cool one for the boys. Um, did call that uh, win for Usman. But when you're looking at Pauga bouncing back against Jordan Wright, you know, I, I don't really rate that, you know, doesn't really mean very much to me, frankly. Um, Modestus Bukowskis, on the other hand, comes back to the UFC, gets a win over Tyson Pedro. You know, I feel like Tyson Pedro is definitely fraudulent, but I also think that that win is better uh, than a win over Jordan Wright by a country mile. Um, so I think that, you know, there's definitely some reasons to think that Modestus Bukowskis is a little bit suspect overall uh, at the highest levels, but I like his story. I like his attitude. I like his effort. I think he's a hard worker. Um, I like the redemption angle. You know, the reason I was always a little bit skeptical about him is because of the John Redmond fight, which I did tape um, from a long time ago, and he got knocked out brutally in the first round there. But, you know, he's bounced back considerably from that. Um, only suffered uh, two knockout losses since then. One of them was via injury, uh, as you guys, I'm sure, remember when he got his knee kicked out by Khalil Roundtree. That was absolutely disgusting. Um, and also Jimmy Crute. Um, punching him out in the first round um, of their fight. But he lost a split to Lord Mihal Oleksasia, who's a very big hitter. Um, and a lot of people thought he probably deserved to win that fight. Um, the Andreas Michalidis fight was a very strange fight. Uh, so he just had weird luck in the UFC. But the Lee Chadwick win, the Chuck Campbell knockout win, you know, those are fine. So uh, I understand the Modestus uh, side here. You know, Pauga for me hasn't shown me very much little bit of an older prospect as well. Um, some of the sharper books are respecting the Pauga side. So I'm going to definitely investigate that a little bit. Um, but I feel like the UFC, you know, doesn't really rate Pauga. Um, and, you know, they've kind of given him a pretty soft resume um, through the UFC, you know, as a result. Um, Muhammad Usman, you know, he's not Kamaru, right? He's certainly a work in progress. He's got, I think, two UFC wins under his belt now. 
but he's not setting the world on fire with a you know unanimous decision win over Junior Tafa, right? I think that this is the kind of guy um, in Pauga who has some real natural skills um, and natural athleticism, but I think guys that really want to fight um, and want to be there like Modestus and really have a lot to fight for, probably going to give him a little bit of trouble. And I also think Modestus, his wrestling, his grappling and all this stuff, it's not elite by any means, but he finds a way to stay in fights and storm back on people typically um, later on. And I just think that for Pauga, you know, the way that he lost uh, that Usman fight for me is just so concerning Um, because I feel like he wasn't really committing and pulling the trigger enough. He was just leaving a lot of opportunities. And Modestus is a guy who sometimes to a fault will like try and pursue opportunities offensively. So I think that Modestus is going to land pretty cleanly on Pauga at various points in this fight and maybe even hurt him. So that basically wraps it up, guys. We've done 90 minutes here, just over that, talking about UFC Vegas 75. And what you guys can expect from me is that I'm going to timestamp this show. I'm going to uh, put this out on podcast platforms as well. That's on Spotify. That's on iTunes. That's on Apple Podcasts. And if there's a place that you want it that it's not, make sure you get at me uh, in the comment section below this video. I'll be happy to address that. If you guys have a favorite bet, if you guys have a question, a comment, a concern, anything that you want addressed by me, feedback for the show, guests you want to see in the future, anything like that, please drop that in the comment section below. If you have anything you want to talk about right now in the closing minutes of this show, go ahead and fire away in the live chat right now uh, because we're going to be wrapping this up probably in the next three to four minutes here. Uh, But again, I just wanted to say, a sincere thank you. We've had a lot of people uh, showing love in the comments, showing love for the new format for the show, showing love for the new guests, showing love for the panel that we're returning to. Um, so I appreciate everybody sticking with it. I appreciate everybody uh, that's been rocking with the content for a long time. I appreciate everybody that just checked us out for the first time as well. You know, we get new people that filter in. Want you guys to know you're always welcome to comment. You're always welcome to ask questions. We don't want people who are new at betting to feel like they can't uh, be involved in the conversation. Um, We believe in education here. Uh, Lifelong learners or lifelong earners, note takers or money makers. um, These are things that we live by on this show uh, and on this platform. And that's what I've been doing for a long time. And I've had, I've been taking notes on these fights for four or five years. Uh, I've been taking notes on my own wrestling matches for 10 years Um, so I have a pretty good eye for watching stuff, breaking it down, seeing what people are doing right and doing wrong and trying to be pretty objective about it. So, um, for me, especially when it comes to the grappling, the wrestling, things like that, I tend to have a little bit of a better eye, but I've tried to hone in on my striking. You guys can see here, we've got, uh, the Conor McGregor book by Jack Slack. It's got plenty of diagrams, uh, and images for simpletons like me to better understand striking. Um, the logic of sports betting, books about uh, betting on fights, getting smarter with our approach, understanding how to think like a bookmaker, reading about the history of boxing, about greats uh, in the sport, reading books from coaches, uh, reading books about mindset, reading books about the history of the sport, uh, reading books uh, about sports specific, wrestling for uh, a commitment to excellence uh, by Ken Sherta. I've been personally beat up by Ken. Uh, great wrestler, great coach, championship fighting and explosive, uh, excuse me, explosive punching and aggressive defense by Jack Dempsey. My point being here is, um, you know, we believe in education on the show. 
there's a lot of content that I've done in the past, how to take better notes um, and improve your skills as a gambler, uh, things like that. I want people to understand. I started betting as a $5 uh, better and believed that I could do it because I knew I was picking fights good. And I learned a lot of hard lessons along the way, right? Betting $5 is a good way to learn lessons. It's very, um, you know, low, low cost, right? And for me, it was perfect. I learned a lot of lessons. And then by the time that I got an education, by the time I surrounded myself with smart people that understood the process, by the time I put my own process together, by the time I accumulated a lot of notes uh, and a lot of uh, information that I think is basically like, you know, no, there's very few people that have notes like I do. So for me, th those are the kind of things where everybody has different sets of skills and how you can set yourself apart in the market is whatever you do well. Um, so yeah, my, my guy Daz file says, can't see fightnomics, bet you have that one. I don't know if I left it at a hotel on vacation. I've read the entire book. I have notes, annotations, everything, and I do not know where my copy is. Um, so it's very possible it's stored away in a box somewhere, uh, as well. I have many, many books. Um, I, the studio is not set up to show you guys around here. Uh, but eventually I will have a multi-shot where you have my whole bookshelf in the background and, you know, I like books about sports. Uh, these are a fraction of my books about sports. I have more, uh, as well, but I love books about everything. Um, so I have, I have, uh, whole shelves of books over here, uh, as well. So, you know, any questions that you guys have about random, um, you know, reading books, writing, things like that. Uh, I also like those topics. I did um, learn about journalism in school. Uh, and I also have, you know, put in a lot of, uh, you know, over 250 original articles about MMA uh, in my lifetime. So um, a lot of, lot of time, effort, and energy spent on this stuff. So Everybody that interacts with it, guys, I truly appreciate each and every one of you guys. If you want more information from me, uh, you can always find that in the information box below the description. It's got a lot of information in there, guys, where you can find uh, additional plays, information, third-party track record, all that kind of stuff. If you're looking for the podcast link, you can find that below. Uh, I try and make it you know, as simple and laid out for people uh, as I can. But again, anything that you guys need, go ahead and comment that below. I just want to say... One last time, I appreciate you all. God bless you all. Enjoy those fights. Until next time, take care, everybody. Come back on Thursday, and we'll do it all over again. See you guys.